Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. This is your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and I'm here in Studio A with Pastor Nick Plummer. Hey, Pastor Nick. Great to be here. What an exciting time we live in, folks. I have an exciting announcement for you that I want to just, I'm just itching to tell you, so I'm just going to tell you right away so that I don't have to like sit here with ants in my pants all the way through the podcast and wait till the end. We, the Beit Tehillah community, will be live and in living color together starting on May 30th. You heard that right. We are going to be meeting again starting on our Shavuot celebration service, May 30th, 11 a.m. That's a Saturday Shabbat service. And I couldn't be more excited about it. That's a good thing. It is a very good thing. So um, for those of you that live locally, uh, you'll be able to come and enjoy the service here with us. Uh, Now, also keep in mind that we will be making sure that we keep all of the proper precautions and, you know, following guidelines guidelines and all that kind of stuff. Um, so just keep that in mind and everybody needs to be respectful. Uh, we do ask that people are not, uh, hugging and kissing and touching and doing all of those things. Uh, we're going to, you know, have it to where, you know, each family will get a row and they can sit together and that kind of thing. It'll just be That's nice right. to be together all in our big living room, the sanctuary at Beit Tehillah. So without further ado, if uh, you guys want to reach out to me and you have any questions, you need prayer or anything like that, you can text me. Um, I'm sorry. You can email me at uh, ryan at twopraise.net, ryan at twopraise.net. And, uh, and don't forget also you can live stream all of our services uh, on twopraise.net or any of our social media platforms, YouTube, Facebook, you know, all, all of them out there. So uh, we are studying the tour portion, and guess what? We're going to be starting a new book today. No That's longer, right. no longer. For all you accountants out there, you <laughs> no, CPAs. No longer are we in the book of Leviticus. Well, actually, we still are. Well, we're going to just... As we record this, We're we going to just take a moment of silence. Till Friday night, uh, <laughs> around 8 o'clock. We're going to just take a moment of silence. I love Leviticus <sighs> all this week. All, all the way to the end, huh? Till the end. All right, whatever. See, you know, there's always something. It is something. the meat of Torah. I'm trying to, trying to get Leviticus a little... Leviticus is the meat. Trying to get a little ribbing in Kosher here. Kosher meat. He's not accepting it. Yes. So. All right, so we're studying the book of Numbers now, uh, and we're starting out with the Torah portion, Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness. It can be found in the book of Numbers in uh, chapter 1 and verse 1 and ending in chapter 4 and verse 20. So we have our uh, Jensen's Old Testament survey book here, and and of course Numbers is the journey to God's rest land. Uh, The interesting thing is uh, at the beginning of the journey, they had 603,550 of one generation. And at the end of the journey, they had 601,000, 730 of another generation. So once again, they did not grow or multiply. They actually decreased. And we can see that happening even today, that uh, there are not as many people uh, on the journey as, as in the beginning. Uh, the book of Numbers is broken up into three parts. This is so important. And of course, uh, chapters 1 through 9 is the preparation for the journey at Sinai. 
This took place within a few weeks. And then, of course, we have, of course, uh, chapters 10 through 21 is the journey. This is at Mount Hor, uh, of course, about 39 years, uh, the journey. So we have this journey, which is actually 42 different encampments. Uh, chapters 22 through 36 concludes the third and most important part. This is at Moab. And, of course, uh, it's a few months. Uh, going back to the second part, uh, it's, it's actually to Moab. I, I know I mentioned Mount Hor. I do believe that's where Aaron passed away and, and passed his mantle on to his son. But once again, as far as the geographical location for part two of the journey, uh, it's to Moab, the journey. About 39 years. Wow, 42 encampments. So the last part is at Moab on the, on the plains of the Jordan River there. At the gate to the land, this took place within a, th a few months, chapters 22 to 36. So this is so important. And three key words found in the book of Numbers is service, war, and wilderness. wilderness. The wilderness, okay? And, uh, and of course, the, uh, the purpose is to tell the story of how Israel prepared to enter the promised land how they sinned and were punished, and how they prepared to try again. Now, midbar means a pasture, open field, or desert. And of course, the word wilderness is found 305 times. Numbers ends just as it begins with preparation. The lesson is clear. God's people must trust him, moving ahead by faith if they are to claim his promised land. Another thing that stands out before we begin reading is it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Not everyone wants to go on the journey. Boy, isn't that the truth. So the interesting thing is you're going to find a lot of examples here in the book of Numbers for us to learn from. Uh, even Paul makes mention of this in his letters, uh, even to the church of Corinth. He says that these are examples for us of what not to do or what to do. So once again, we are excited and uh, we're going to jump right in here with Ryan. Me? Have a little bit of reading. Yes. I get to read? You're going to read four verses. <laughs> All right. That's right. Numbers chapter one, verses one through four. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, <clears throat> in the tabernacle of the congregation on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take ye the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel after their families, by the house of their families, with the number of their names, every male by their poles. From twenty years old and upward, all that are able to go forth to war in Israel, thou and Aaron shall number them by their armies. And with you there shall be a man of every tribe, every one head of the house of his fathers. Wow. That's interesting. So basically... Uh we're having a census of Israel at Sinai, a census of Israel at Sinai. And of course, the year 2020 is the year of this worldwide census. So if you haven't done the census, you know, something to think about. The census is happening in 2020 all over the world. Uh, once again, the location here, geographically speaking, they are at Mount Sinai. Remember in Exodus 19, they were married to God. They received the Torah, the marriage covenant. And of course, what happens, uh, they're camped out there for, for almost a year because now all of a sudden it's on the first day of the second month in the second year is the time frame for the book of Numbers. On the first day of the second month in the second year. Hmm. So they've had a year, has lasted pretty much a year. 
And uh, they were at Mount Sinai for nearly a year. You can see this at Exodus 19.1. And of course, they're going to be moving on here as we approach Numbers chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. They're going to move from the wilderness of Sinai or Mount Sinai to, of course, the wilderness of Paran. So once again, the age group that was counted on the census were 20 years old and upward. I believe it was just the males. That's correct. Yeah, it's, all, it's only the males. And of course, leaders were picked to represent each tribe. Leaders were picked to represent each tribe. Once again, the power of leadership and delegation. Now, the following are the 12 tribes and their numbers in the census. And you can read about this in Numbers chapter 1, verses 5 through 46. Uh, the tribe of Reuben had 46,500. The tribe of Simeon, 59,300. The tribe of Gad, 45,650. The tribe of Yehuda, Judah, 74,600. The tribe of Issachar, 54,400. Tribe of Zebulun, 57,400. The tribe of Ephraim, Ephraim, 40,500. And of course, the tribe of Manasseh, 32,200. Tribe of Benjamin, or Benjamin, 35,400. And the tribe of Dan the man, that's right, the tribe of Dan, 62,700. Wow. Uh, the tribe of Asher had 41,500, and Naphtali had 53,400. There are your 12 tribes, and of course, the tribe that had the most men was Judah, 74,600. You go, Judah. The tribe that had the least men was Manasseh, 32,200. Very interesting. Judah's name means to praise. Manasseh means to forget. So maybe they left out some people. <laughs> you know, it, it's it, kind of like the, the, the census today that they're doing. I mean, how accurate is it going to be? And also, this is, you know, with the coronavirus, do we really believe like the numbers that China is giving us for the amount of cases they, they have and deaths? Well, we certainly don't believe China. I would say, survey says, no. Well, you know, a couple interesting things here. So these numbers are given. These numbers are given. Um, I... I had never heard this before, but recently I heard that the use of the character, the Aleph, in these numbers, um, that some scholars have some, you know, discussion about the way they translate it. So we get 603,000, but some others have gotten as little as 100,000 or even, even less. And then when you extrapolate the women and children and elderly into this number— that it, it comes out to being just a few hundred thousand total because we come up with, with this number, one and a half to three million is what we come up with, right? That kind of reminds me of the, uh, the 144,000 in the book of Revelation. In really? the Greek, they're saying that the connotation could, in the Greek, could actually mean more. Right, like an infinite number. Well, and, and the character Aleph does actually represent infinity, right? So they use the Aleph and the Omega, or not the Aleph and the Omega. They use the Aleph character because it's not even right. it's Alpha and Omega, but beside the point. That's a yeah. whole other language in Greek. I like Greek. <laughs> it's I all like Greek, Greek to me. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so they use the Aleph actually to represent infinity uh, in some cases. But my point just being that um, I've always read these numbers and just taken it as, well, it's a number, so it would be a very simple translation. And I would also say 
most scholars agree that these numbers are correct, right? So that's very another, interesting. Another and numbers piece. are given, you know. Right. It's like when you when I, when I studied the, the 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 subject matter of the plague, my teaching the plague, you know, numbers are given on how many died. Uh, so very interesting. So we're going to move on here, and 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 I like the CPA would say, and I do love this famous saying, numbers don't lie. Mm, you know, nowadays they make numbers say whatever they want. I know, want. that's true. So the, <laughs> so the Levites were not counted with the other tribes. And of course, the Levites were over the tabernacle and all the vessels. So once again, the Levites were like the personnel. So here's a, here's a cool observation. I want to share this with all of you. So God says, listen, Moses, I'm going to give you this pattern for this tabernacle. And I want you to make it exactly the way I give it to you. Mm-hmm. Because this pattern is found in heaven. It's just like when we say the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this pattern is given to Moses and he doesn't deviate from it. Sure. And that's what I love about the pattern, you know, because there's a lot of principles to be found here. And we're going to discover that. And, And why am I bringing this up? Because it says here, the Levites were over the tabernacle and all the vessels. So now that you have a structure... You need some good personnel. You know, we're revamping our leadership at Beit Tehila. We're getting ready to do the undercover series with John Bevere, and we're just doing our job description responsibilities, but we're revamping our leadership here at Beit Tehila because we have a beautiful piece of land with five acres, three buildings, and even a decent shed, you know, <laughs> that's got a light. There's actually a light switch for the shed. Wow. And I have a, a light switch in my shed. And there's a ramp. So we're, we're high class here. It's like, you know, uh, and so what I'm saying to all of you is this. Personnel is so important. Yeah. You know, and it's not just that, but you're going to see some placement now. So let's just say you got a great facility, you got great personnel. Now we want to place people where they need to be. And so, of course, we, we know on the east side of the tabernacle, we have Moses, Aaron, and his sons on the east side. Now remember, there's only one way in and one way out for the tabernacle. That is through the east entrance. What better way than to put the Levites right there? Moses, Aaron, and his sons. So if I were moving on up, where would I be going? If you want to move up? So if I was moving on up, I would head to the east side. You would the east side. That's moving good. Moving on up. Oh, that's right. Because beans don't burn on the grill. Uh, we got to move on now. Boy, that was great, Ryan. Um, of course, on the south side of the tabernacle, we have, of course, the Kohathites. Um, going back to the east, I'm sorry. I left out Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. I was all excited about the personnel that were camped out there. So there's, there's the priests that were there, Moses, Aaron, and his sons. Mm-hmm. They would actually minister and be responsible for the gate and opening and closing and everything, whatever, people coming in and out or whatever. But also ministering to those that on the east, on the east side, which is Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. This is so cool. Uh, and then, of course, on the, on the south side, you have the Kohathites. We're going to get into what their responsibilities were later. Uh, and there was Reuben, Simeon, and Gad on the south side. Mm-hmm. So when you see these stories develop about Reuben getting in trouble, Korah was a Kohathite. And so you're going to discover why they were in cahoots with one another, why there was a conspiracy, uh, because a conspiracy takes two or more people, and here we have it pop up. Uh, The three tribes that were camped on the west side of the tabernacle were, of course, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. Benjamin, yeah. With the Gershonites, a part of that priesthood. The Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin had the Gershonites, so the Gershonites would minister to them. And then, of course, we have the Merarites, uh, Merari, uh, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali on the north side. 
So actually, from the from the air and aerial view of the tabernacle, Ryan, which is, and I want you all to think about this, it looks like a cross. And also, the tabernacle furniture, from an aerial view, is shaped like a cross. The tabernacle furniture. If you could go in there and look at it. So just something to think about. You know, I know people get funny and all, you know, been out of shape over symbols. But they are important and they do mean something. But, but once again, I just want to share that with you. Uh, in Numbers chapter 2, verse 34. And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they pitched by their standards. And so they set forward everyone after their families, according to the house of their fathers. Once again, a standard. So every, every tribe had a flag or a banner. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Ryan? Numbers 234. Uh, well, I have, a, I have some thoughts um, <clears throat> starting with I, I knew chapter did. 2, verse 3, where we're, we're grouping uh, tribes together. And so um, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun are the three youngest of Leah. So they all have all of their mothers is Leah. Um, and they're the three youngest because it goes Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. That's the first four. Um, in total birth order, Issachar and Zebulun are nine and 10, but they are the next two in line um, from, from Leah. So Leah, you know, later on, actually, you know, after the birth of Asher has uh, Issachar and Zebulun. And then we get Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. And so Reuben and Simeon are... Um, are again sons of Leah, but then Gad is a son of Zilpah, one uh, Leah's handmaid. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, was there some rhyme or reason for grouping these together? And then you get Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, which those are all the sons of Rachel. So it makes sense that you have the sons of Rachel together, Joseph, Benjamin, right? Ephraim and Manasseh being the We're sons of Joseph. We're talking about a mixed family, folks. We are. And then uh, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. So then you get thrown for a little bit of a loop here because with Dan, Asher, and Naphtali, you're taking sons of Zilpah, or son of Zilpah, Asher, and mixing them with Bilhah's sons, Dan and Naphtali. But it makes sense, you know, because like the, the handmaids, they got to stick together, right? You know, um, you would think that within the family, there might be a little bit of, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, class warfare between are you a son of Leah and Rachel or, or are you a son of one of the handmaids, Zilpah or Bilhah? I can, I can see some of that happening. Well, you're just the handmaid's kid, you know? Maybe, maybe you don't see that, maybe you do. But, um, you know, when I looked at the grouping, it kind of makes sense, uh, the way that they grouped them together, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, and then Dan, Asher, and Naphtali kind of groups together with some sensical way based on who their mother is um, as the sons of Jacob. That's exciting. You know, if you stop and think about this aerial view of, of, the, of the priesthood around the tabernacle, and, and, and so those three tribes like Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun on the east would go to Moses, Aaron, and his sons. Uh, you have, of course, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad on the south side. They would go to the Kohathites and get help and everything and, and, and have their own priest. And then, of course, we have Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin to the west with the Gershonites. And then, of course, we have the Merorites um, with Dan, Asher, and Naphtali on the north side. What's interesting about this is that um, there's only one way in and one way out, and that's from the east. But what's interesting to me is, is that uh, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin were, of course, camped out on the west side. Uh, in Hosea 11.10, it says... They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. Wow. 
and it talks about uh, this this group of people coming from the west. You know, and if so you think about which tribes are from the west? It's Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. Interesting. The sons of Rachel. Yeah, they shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. Wow. Um, matter of fact, I think there's even more directional verses in, in regards to the west. We know America is to the west. And then you have, of course, the Far East, the Middle East. Mm. And then, of course, you have the Midwest, which is Iowa. Eh? For those of you. Don't you know? That live in Iowa. A little shout out to you. Uh, I was just looking, uh, as far as the standard goes, this is interesting. Um, do you, you want to interject anything? Uh, well, I just think that with all of these families put together, um, you know, it's it's funny because I, I wonder today when we think of the 12 gates to the New Jerusalem and where they're located, they're located in these same places. And I noticed that there's no gate called the nations. There's no gate called Gentiles. And so we have to find uh, identity within these groups. Now, I'm not talking about a bloodline of you're this tribe or you're that tribe. You're descended from this person. That's the reason you are who you are or how you are. Um, so for the record, anyone that would say that we believe in some sort of a bloodline inheritance through, uh, I don't know, British Israelism or, or something along those lines, while it would be totally cool, we're not claiming that in any way, shape or form. What we are saying though, is that there's going to be affiliations made for the people coming into the new Jerusalem. And you're going to enter through one of those gates and those gates have names. And so, um, you know, being a part of this, that we can find identity through Yeshua in, in these places. That's awesome. You know, in Isaiah 49, 22, talking about a standard, it's a banner. And we have all, we have the banners in our sanctuary. Thanks to Linda Carter. That's right. God bless Linda Thanks, Carter. Linda. She made some beautiful banners for our, for our congregation. What a, what a beautiful woman to do that. They're so cool. But here's what it says in Isaiah 49, 22. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms and, they, and thy daughter shall be carried upon their shoulders. Wow, here's a mm. standard. Uh, and also that's in Isaiah 49, 22. What about 59, 19? Let's check it out here. Check it out. In 59, verse 19, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against them. Wow. Put him to flight. It's right there. That, that is incredible. Now we have one more. And it's found in... In it's Isaiah sixty two ten, Isaiah the old 62, standard two ten. Go through, go through the gates. Prepare ye the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up a standard for the people. So the standard is what you report to. It's what you march for. Yeah. It's what you march under or march to or with. So here we have that standard, you know, and I would say Yeshua is a standard, the banner of Yeshua. Absolutely. The banner of salvation, you know. Absolutely. I would say even the tribe of Judah, the banner for Judah, you know, it talks about 10 men coming out of the nations, grabbing the tzitzits of him who, who is, is a Jew. Jew. 
saying, hey, we know God is with you. That's right. And that's a picture of the non-Jews coming together. Is that the picture of the non-Jews coming to Israel through Yeshua? Is he him who is I don't a Jew? Know. I think I think it's powerful. I think there's You know, there, there's things. a famous discussion here question that we have in our facilitator's outline in the book of Numbers. Make you, make you think. I love this, and I came up with this. So many times we want to be counted. Yes. But can we be counted on? That's a big question. You know, it's interesting, like when you're young and you're picking your team and you get kind of picked last or maybe you didn't get picked the way you wanted to. But hey, you know, can you be counted on? See, in the Hebrews of the Christian faith, everyone, there are stages of redemption. There are stages in God's plan. And I believe that we are approaching the next stage and we have to be mature and responsible if we truly want to go the rest of the way is the road that we're on leading to God. Because you can be a legend in your own mind. You can miss God. And I'm telling you, God wants to count on us. Yes. And, and like I said, one of the best examples that we can find right now in the earth today in regards to that, as far as the Hebrews of the Christian faith in action, is with Hayovel organization. Okay? Absolutely. So we're going to move on here a little bit. Uh, we're going to go into Numbers chapter 3 where the Levites are set apart, and I'll interject a, a few things. I'm going to go ahead and have Ryan uh, take over the outline and, and, and share some things. Absolutely. So um, <laughs> the Levites were obviously not counted up in this other group, right? So they're set apart uh, as a whole other group because they don't get uh, an inheritance and they don't go to war. They have another specific job. So as you noticed when they did the census in the beginning uh, when God gives the command to count the people, he's counting those of the age that can go to war or be, be you know, part of the military. And so, um, you know, starting with uh, this section called the Levites are set apart. Uh, Aaron's four sons were Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Itamar. Uh, and that can be found in Numbers 3-2. Uh, Nadab and Abihu died because they offered up strange fire to the Lord. We know this because we just read this in Leviticus, right? Right, and there was alcohol involved. They were a little impaired. Yeah, absolutely. Senses were impaired because of alcohol. And so um, God says that the Levites belong to the Lord. And this is in uh, chapter 3 and verse 12. And the firstborn of every man and beast belong to the Lord as well. And so uh, what was the age limit numbering the Levites? Um, it was from one month old and upward. So they actually numbered the Levites starting at a month old as babies. Um, what an interesting uh, difference between counting from 20 years old and up and starting at a month old and up. And that's how the Levites were counted. Yep. And so who were the three sons of Levi? They were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And so the Gershonites were camped westward and responsible for the tent of the tabernacle, covering the tabernacle, hanging the door of the tabernacle, hanging of the court, the curtains, and the cords. So you'll notice that the Gershonites, um, you know, had everything to do with all of the stuff that was hanging, right? All the tapestries and all that kind of stuff. Um, the Kohathites were camped southward and responsible for all the furniture in the tabernacle. So this group was responsible for the furniture. So you have groups with all the hanging things and the furniture. And then the accessories. Um, yeah, the hardware. Yep, the hardware was what the Merarites. Marar- the Merarites. Merarites were camped on the north side, and they were responsible for the boards, bars, pillars, sockets, vessels, pins, and their cords. So you have fabric, 
furniture, and hardware. You know, I, I want to share something with all of you that's that's personal with the community and the congregation of Beit Tehillah. You know, uh, we always, we love the arts, we love dancing, but we love tapestry. We love cloth. We love to hang cloth. Have you, have you ever heard of billows? Uh, what is a billow? Well, it's like a piece of fabric that somebody holds one end, the other person holds the other yep. end, and you go up with it. It's called like billowing or the billows. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, I think it's the same thing as like when you want to start a fire. Oh, yeah, yeah. The billows. It's like a, a contraption that pushes air out. Uh-huh. It looks like, like an accordion or something. And why am I sharing this? Because it's interesting that when we were over at the fellowship hall that, that it is now, it was our first church, the old church, you know, we, we had uh, this tapestries up. You know, and it's funny because the, the Gershon or the Gershonites were in charge of the tapestry. But that's where Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin were camped, Ryan. I mean, we even had like over the doors this purple fabric to cover up the window that you know and it's so amazing I mean, too when you find that, these things out after yeah. the fact right like hey yeah. we got all this tapestry well, and then cool. wait, we, we wait. have a cart on wheels with all this fabric it looks like joanne fabrics or something like you know like 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 it's just like fabrics yeah you know and like i like to put the blood over my doorpost i get this red fabric because we have everything you could possibly want there's blue purple gold oh, boy, yeah all these colors just like there would be in the tabernacle. So just think about it, everybody. And of course, we know uh, who Ephraim is. He, he's a non-Jew. Ephraim would become a multitude, a multitude of, nations. of nations or ethnic groups, you know. And, uh, and so once again, uh, something uh, to think about. How, how powerful is it? Now, let me just reiterate this and go over this so, so those of you that are listening understand. It's so important to establish a location or a place to worship God. Now, some of you might be meeting in your living room. That's okay. Yeah. But once again, now you're going to need some personnel. And the personnel need to be in the living room. You got to have leadership. You got to have someone heading it up. Don't go for the free-for-all. Set up your guidelines. Have a leader. And then, of course, you're going to have your protocol. How are things going to operate? How do you function? So remember that. The location is so important. Your personnel. Because what good would the tabernacle be, Ryan? If nobody's around it, yeah, it would just sit there. So it's just something to think about, everybody. Do you have a location that you're meeting in? Do you have personnel? Do you have protocol? If you can't answer these questions, you're in trouble. Yeah. Because you have to have these things. You can't wander around and do what you want. You can't get anything done. You know, if we want to raise with the next generation, Ryan, and build a strong community, we got to have a place, personnel, and protocol. Man, that's a good word. That's that's a word for somebody out there. PPP. You know, and, and, and it's not perfect, but that's actually just something to think about. Well, that's that's brilliant. We gotta quit wandering around. You know, one of the punishments for Ephraim would be that he would wander among the nations. You know, because I'm the wanderer. Cause I'm the wanderer. Yeah, Ryan's not the only one with a song, folks. So I'm gonna turn it over to Ryan and uh, and of course once again uh, Moses, Aaron, and his sons we're located uh, eastward around the tabernacle. And let Ryan take it from there. That's right. And so we find out just after that in <clears throat> verse 39 that it's 22,000 men from the tribe of Levi were numbered from a month old and upward. Now, um, think about that. That's a month old and upward. That's not even the 20 to 60 like the other, uh, or 20 to 50 like the other one. That is a month old and upward. And so the count of all the firstborn males from a month old and upward from all 12 tribes was uh, 22,273. So they do a, just a firstborn male count as well. 
And the difference between the firstborn males uh, of all tribes and the difference uh, of the Levites was 273. So they had to be redeemed at five shekels per person, and it came to 1,365 And of course, shekels. what does the shekel do? But it shows you the value of the vow or the count. Right. So, so it's not just, it's like saying, I'm going to apply this. To the dedication. Well, and we just I'm learned. Gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna apply this to the census. Well, and we just learned at the end of Leviticus about the dedications and about this whole process of of redeeming them through the shekels. And so, what they did is they started kind of like a baseline count, right? That you have this many Levites of the firstborn males, right? Or this many Levites versus firstborn males. Here's your 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 ones that need to be redeemed. It's so powerful. Well, and it, it's you know what I think that um, people wouldn't come up with this on their own, right? So. God obviously came and up with And there's a this. reason for it. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. Well, and, and it, it, there's certain commands that, you know, maybe they don't necessarily, quote-unquote, make sense to us, but it's the way that we show God that we love Him by keeping His commands. Amen? Which I That's think good. That's cool. good. So, so Numbers chapter 4, we're getting into further duties of the Levites. So remember what I said. Location, personnel, responsibilities. Yeah, protocol. The church doesn't just take care of itself. We've got to have things in place. That's right. Even my staff with the coronavirus, we had to keep things running, keep things going, keep things operational. But we have the further, further duties of the Levites. And, and then, of course, it says here in Numbers chapter 4, verse 3, From 30 years old and upward, even until 50 years old, all that enter into the host to do the work in the tabernacle of the congregation. So Numbers 4, 3 is actually giving you the ages from 30 to 50 was the priesthood. And then, of course, the responsibilities probably would change uh, after 50. It wouldn't be so, so stringent or hard. But I, I found this interesting, and I'm going to throw this out to all of you. Remember, the Levites taught the Torah. They were like your doctors, your lawyers. You had a problem. You went to the priest. Okay? And so today, we can go to many different, uh, different things or, or, or personnel or whatever, you can go to the medicine cabinet and pop pills. You can drink alcohol. Not good. But no, it's not. And matter of fact, uh, the Levites were the first dermatologists. They sure were. You got a little skin affliction. Hey, go see the, the Levite. They were the dermatologists. Uh, I'm bringing this out because the age is, of course, 30 to 50. But you're going to see the age is going to drop down to 25 in Numbers chapter 8, verses 24 and 25. So they started out at 30, which is the law first mentioned. So when you turn 30, and it's interesting, that's when I got betrothed. To my wife. I was 30. I was so excited. I bet you were. I was really excited. So so age of 25, they dropped the age down to 25, Ryan. Why Why do you think this? Because I believe the priesthood was really needed. You can't wait for someone to be so old. Yeah. Let's, let's get them going. We're doing that today. Like we have this age limit for 12 to like to be on cameras and things and to, to be serving. Sure. But we actually have some people uh, that are younger. Because we really need them and they're mature. Yeah. Now, I bring that up because at the age of 20, it, it drops down to the age of 20 in First Chronicles chapter 23, verses 24 and 25. King David sets up the division of the priesthood, and he drops the age down to 20. So, boy, you can really serve. It's funny because my son Josiah will be 20 this year. He could be a priest according to this. Um, this is by King David's standard, as, as you'll develop that in First Chronicles 23, verses 24 and 25. So once he gets started at 30, and it goes to 25 and then 20. Now we know, and if, if Ryan, if you could read Luke 3:23, <clears throat> let's tie this into Yeshua and, of course, the New Testament. So let's remember the law first mentioned. So 
The law of first mention said that you had to be 30 in order to be a priest and to qualify in that maturity. But let's read Luke 3, 23. It says here, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. And so it's talking about him wow. starting his ministry at wow. the age of 30. Pretty cool, huh? That is so cool. It is so, so cool. And once again, we're getting into the further duties of the Levites. So they're showing the age limit. Right. Just like here at Beit Tehillah, what's the age limit that young people can serve? It's 12. But we've made some exceptions with those that are mature and responsible, especially even like when it comes to child care, so they can help out in different things. Hey, Yeshua taught in the temple at age 12. <clears throat> so once again, the, the further duties of the Levites, there's the age limits, which is very important. Uh, what colored cloth was used to cover the ark table of showbread, the menorah, and the golden altar? What color was the cloth? Blue. It was blue. It was blue. And of course, blue signifies heavenly mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. Have you ever been outside and just seen blue skies, not a cloud in the Man, sky? Man, me and the kids have been like a outside. solid blue, like a laying, beautiful blue. Like laying out there and just looking up at the sky, and there's no clouds anywhere. It's been amazing weather. That's, that's rare, but, but anyway, so, so here's, here's the thing. So what color was the second cloth that went over the dishes, spoons, bowls, and covers located on top of the table of showbread? It was scarlet. So scarlet, and what would red signify but blood atonement? Mm. Scarlet represents blood atonement. So we have blue is heavenly or kingship. I, I think it is. No, it's Holy Spirit. Blue is Holy Spirit, heavenly. Uh, purple is the color of the cloth that covered the altar. Mm. And purple means royalty or kingship. Mm. I love purple shirts, like a dark blue or dark purple shirt. I like blue shirts too, but purple is probably one of my favorites, like a, like a, like a purple. Yeah. Like a light purple. Huh. Lavender? Yeah, lavender, purple, uh, different versions of colors. So it means royalty or kingship, and it covered the altar, and it was purple. Uh, of course, uh, I'm going to let Ryan uh, finish up this outline, but um, what what an exciting study. It is exciting. Um, you know, we, we get into now, um, you know, the sons of Kohath talking about the vessels and stuff, that some of these jobs that they were given had, you know, a little bit hazardous, right? I mean... It wasn't just, hey, you know, go do this and be nonchalant about it. They had to take their um, the responsibility seriously. Because here in uh, Numbers chapter 4 and verse 15, it actually says, look at that, I'm on the wrong page. Chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, uh, And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is to set forward, after that the sons of Kohath, which are in charge of the, the, the furniture, shall come to bear it or pick it up. But they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. So they would cover these uh, furniture to move it. So I think a lot of times we've all thought, like, well, what about when they're moving the furniture? How do they touch it? Is it unholy? Well, no, they covered it first. And that's the furniture. Right. They would cover it first, and then they could obviously touch the coverings. But if they were to touch the furniture itself, it says right there in verse 15, they would die. So that's, that's pretty serious. Um, moving on to verse 16, the fivefold work of the high priest. I mean, there's a whole teaching in and of itself right here uh, in verse 16. But I'm going to go through them one through five. Um, the first one was um, uh, the oil for the light. Uh, number two was sweet incense. Number three was the daily meat or grain offering. Uh, number four is the anointing oil. And number five is oversight of the tabernacle. 
So what, this is the, the five-fold work of the high priest. Oil for the light, sweet incense, daily grain offering, the anointing oil, and the oversight of and all the And the high the priest could actually go anywhere in the tabernacle and actually serve. Right. He's like over everything. Right. He was an overseer. Um, because you have all the other priests and Levites doing the rest of the work, and he's going around kind of as the supervisor. And then uh, he obviously would do the specific things that he was called to you know, once a year for uh, atonement and all that. And so here's our discussion question, Pastor Nick. You ready for this? The priesthood had delegated responsibilities in all of their service. Why is the, con- uh, the concept of delegation important in your community? You know, that's, of course, going to be given to us from Moses, remember? Oh, yeah. He had to uh, get him some elders because he was with the people from sunup to sundown. Yeah, it was tough. And so to, to delegate is, is really uh, a responsibility that every leader should have. You know, we have over 20 people that are in leadership, and, and everyone has a responsibility. And you can, get, you can get more done. And to micromanage is not good. You know, I would say the two things that a, that a pastor needs to face if he wants to be successful is one, he has to let go or not have as much control. And number two, delegate. Oh yeah. Don't micromanage, let people lead, let them be creative and let them do the ministry. Let them lead that ministry. So like Ryan and Ashley do a wonderful job with the greeters, you know, and uh, you know, and, and so what happens is they're, they're delegated that responsibility. Uh, and Joe, and so once again, I think that that's very very important, uh, the delegated responsibility. So important. Uh, many hands make light work. Make light work. So, what two lessons can be learned from the Torah portion? Bamidabar in the wilderness, Numbers chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 20, from a consensus of the group. But now this is going to be from a consensus of Ryan. Ryan, what do you have? <laughs> consensus of rhyme. Yeah, the so, consensus of rhyme. So I kind of got um, one major thing is about the being counted or being counted on. That's good. I think that it's important to uh, understand that everybody has a role and a place and that they're separating everything out and that while they are separating people into groups, they're also giving the responsibilities for each group. And if everyone does what they're supposed to do, then everything will operate smoothly. Amen. That's awesome. And that's, that's basically what I got for number one is, is the first census. Everyone wants to be counted, but can God count on you? Yeah. You know, when you think about these prophecies, everybody, when you think about the restoration, regathering of the whole house of Israel, which is made up of Jews and non-Jews, we as the non-Jews have to play our part. Yeah. We have to come alongside Judah, the Jewish people, and extend our hand to them in a mutual respect. Uh, the second thing that I've learned from this Torah portion is the priests had responsibilities to fulfill. Yeah. So we have a responsibility. If we are called a nation of kings and priests, we have a responsibility to fulfill that role. Yes. And that's all I have. All right. So we are going to now count the Omer, or in French, it's Omer. Oh, I like that. I just made that up. I have no idea I if that's actually that. in French. But oh. <laughs> so let's go ahead and say the blessing. And then uh, today is the 38th day for those of you that are wondering uh, where we are on the count. And so, Baruch, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam, Asher Kitchenu, B'Mitzvotav, Vitzivanu, Al-Sifarat HaOmer. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, whose commandments add holiness to our lives and gives us the command to count the Omer. 
Today is 38 days, which is five weeks and three days of the counting of the Omer. Ah, 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 Yeah, you know, for those... It's a commandment. We just did the commandment. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're How... commanded to count. Oh, that, that was so painful. It was. It was very difficult. Oh, that was painful. I feel the, the grievous yoke that has been placed upon <laughs> me and that is weighing me that's down. That's easy. You know, he does say, right? He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, man, I like that. I do, man. I love it. I love it. And you know what he did? He gave the command to count the Omer. So I guess it's easy. And it's light. I mean, That's it's got to be, you know, just by definition. So, all right, bless you guys. I'm glad you guys have been here spending this time with us studying the Torah portion, Bamidbar. You know, the Torah portions are such a blessing. They're relevant for today. They're exciting. You want to know what current events are going on? Read the Torah portions, and the, the world will open up to you to see what's going on in prophecy and in present day. Um, also, uh, if you want to reach out to me, again, it's Ryan, R-Y-A-N, at twopraise.net. You can call the office at 813-654-2222, and you can live stream our services every week on any of our social media channels, uh, YouTube, Facebook, the like, uh, and also on our website at twopraise.net. And also, we appreciate all of you that have been giving online. Um, man, what a blessing it has been uh, for you guys to support the ministry here and the work that we're doing. Uh, we really feel it, and we just love you guys, and we're just so grateful for those of you that are givers. Um, and, uh, and that are faithful in that manner. So thank you very much for that. God bless you. Have a great week.